Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Hi everyone, welcome back. Uh, without further ado, I will introduce our teacher for today. So, um, Alistair Shanks has been dedicated a dedicated practitioner and teacher of the Taoist internal martial arts for over 20 years. Since 2008, he has been an adjunct faculty member at the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine, where he teaches Tai Chi. Alistair has, was a volunteer with Zen Hospice Project from 2004 to 2014 and was hired to serve as the volunteer program manager in 2016. His other volunteer work includes working as a Buddhist chaplain at San Francisco General Hospital and leading meditation sessions for inmates at the San Francisco County Jail. Alistair has a degree in philosophy and religion from San Francisco State and a master's degree in Buddhist chaplaincy from the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. In his spare time, he plays with the San Francisco's legendary hardcore polka band, Polka Side. So please welcome Alistair with your Zoom waves. Great, thank you. Um, so thank you for having me back. It's lovely to be with you again. And um, welcome to everybody. Uh, you know, uh, during these extraordinary times, I have found myself starting out pretty much every Zoom meeting uh, by acknowledging the moment of time that we are in and um, acknowledging the, the losses and the grief that we're all suffering, um, beginning with the pandemic. Uh, and um, the attendant economic disruption and uh, many people losing jobs and income. I myself have had my hours cut to 16 hours a week, which forced me to look for other things to do to support myself. Um, and um, then there's the racial equity issue and the horrifying images of uh, a black man being murdered on video by a police officer and all of the demonstrations that go along with it. And then on top of all of that, as if that wasn't enough, the wildfires. And so I just, I, I want to acknowledge that we are in this moment where we're, we're all, all of us in varying degrees suffering layers of trauma. Um, and, uh, we're all holding that right now. So, um, we're dealing with a lot and we're all grieving. And I hope that you and your loved ones are safe 
and that you are able to survive and hold this moment and your own suffering, whatever that may be, with compassion and gentleness. And and I think that under these circumstances, it seems even more important that we gather together in Sangha and community the way that we are today. Uh, I am in the uh, position of spending a lot of time on Zoom, uh, which has both good and bad aspects to it. Um, if this pandemic had happened 10 years ago, uh, we would not have this option of gathering together online. And so even though we see each other on the screen with all these little tiles, the so-called um, Brady Bunch um, uh, look, um, it still is something, and I have found that Zoom can be surprisingly uh, supportive and intimate. So with that being said, I'd like to, uh, the topic that I am going to speak on today is generosity. And um, about a year ago, um, I um, came up with this question. This question arose for me, am I being generous? And for the past three years, I've been going to the Mojave Desert with some friends where we uh, do some process work and then uh, we all go to different spots that we've chosen and spend four days fasting alone. And during that time, uh, last year, last October, my, uh, my question that I took out to the desert to my alone time, my solo time, was am I being generous? Um, and it became not just an inquiry for that time, but has become an ongoing inquiry for me. So this is, this is personal personal for me. It's a very personal topic. Um, I do not feel that I'm a naturally generous person. Um, so it's an interesting place for me to work. I think about it a lot. And I think about how I am in the world um, and all of the ways that I may um, tense up or grasp or cling to things. And um, that is a practice in and of itself. Uh, but by asking this question, by, by continually asking my, this question of myself, am I being generous? I began to notice all the ways that I was not being generous. So it's amazing what uh, a simple question can do. Um, I just want to fairly briefly put this in the context of the Buddhist teachings um, because um, I feel that it's important that we know where these these teachings come from. Um, but uh, I really want to make this more personal, as I said. So generosity is one of the ten paramis or paramitas and is considered a, a primary practice. It's something that is uh, can be taken on um, right away by any practitioner. And um, it's a quality, the, 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 the uh, paramitas are something that can be cultivated, developed, practiced in any situation uh, in daily life. 
And that's what makes them so useful. Um, and we can think of them as priorities, things to focus our mind as we go about our daily lives. Um, generosity is actually right at the beginning of, of the paramitas, and it's common to all beings um, because even ordinary people can practice it, not just monastics or advanced practitioners. And it's easy to practice. And the function of generosity is to dispel greed. So as we all know, greed is one of the three unwholesome roots of greed, hatred, and delusion. So the function of generosity is to address this, this core tendency towards greed that all human beings have. And generosity is also a manifestation of non-attachment. And again, um, this addresses the, the, uh, the core need of um, trying to diminish our desires. So it leads to non-clinging, loving, loving kindness, con and concern for the well-being of others. Uh, in the Buddhist teachings, there are two forms of generosity. The first one, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, is dana, or more simply giving. Um, also refers to the thing being given. You so you give someone dana, um, and the spiritual benefit or effic efficacy of a gift is not how much it is or what it is, but the attitude in which it's given. Um, and I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a moment. The other form of generosity is kaga. And this is a generosity that also means relinquishment or letting go. So in order to give and to be generous, there has to be that element of letting go, of relinquishment. And the Buddha used the word kaga to refer to the inner virtue of generosity. Um, and it's significant because um, it also means renunciation. And relinquishment. So relinquishment of what? Well, relinquishment of stinginess or clinging and greed, as I mentioned before. Uh, it's very easy for um, all of us, myself included, to operate from fear and greed. It happens every day. Um, and so generosity requires relinquishing some of our self-interest uh, or giving of oneself. And in this sense, it really requires letting go and is an antidote to clinging. So as a first step, as you're all familiar, uh, we are encouraged to practice dana uh, in, in the sense of giving donations. Um, but the next step, the kaga, is the inner work. Uh, and that's a slightly higher level of letting go internally. But Dana and Kaga are, are really joined together. They go hand in hand. Um, for myself, what I have begun to notice and what I started noticing, especially after my time in the desert last October, was that commitment and accountability are acts of generosity. And I have to confess that in my life, I have not always been good at commitment, and I have not 
been very good at accountability. Um, you know, back in my ancient history, I struggled with addiction. And um, as many of you may be familiar, um, addicts don't really like the idea of accountability. So this is something, this is a working edge for me now, is these, these ideas of, of commitment and accountability. Because um, in my view, what they say to others is that your needs are important to me. You are important to me. And that is, um, that is a, a form of generosity. So I like to just now speak about how we can use and practice generosity uh, in our lives, um, ways to go about doing that. And I want to frame generosity in more general terms as it's not something we are. So I think it's quite common for, for us to say of people, oh, they're really generous or they're not generous. So we frame it as an identification, an identity. And I think that's a mistake because it's not something that happens to us, um, although it may. Sometimes we'll say, I'm feeling generous today, but it is, in fact, something that we can practice on a regular basis. And it's a way to cultivate a generous spirit. And perhaps more importantly, as I mentioned earlier, um, when we practice generosity, it allows us to see more clearly where we're stuck, where we're holding on, where we're clinging. And that was, as I said, one of the results of my initial inquiry of am I being generous is I started to notice all the ways that I was not being generous. I think what makes this practice so useful and so primary is that the opportunities to practice it are everywhere. They're all around us. And we may express generosity financially by, by giving, socially by being gracious and kind, uh, those of you who have heard me speak before, you know that one of my uh, practices is driving. <laughs> so uh, driving, you can practice generosity, letting people in front of us, being considerate and kind, not being overly aggressive. Uh, emotionally, we can practice generosity by being emotionally available to those of us who need us, to people close to us in our lives and even colleagues and acquaintances. And a kind of generosity of spirit and how we view and judge others as well as ourselves. So um, I have a particularly active superego and um, self-judgment is something I'm very familiar with. And so part of my generosity practice is extending the sense of generosity to myself also, uh, as well as to others. Uh, so just as in a in the Brahma Vihara practices in Metta loving kindness, we start out sending loving kindness to ourselves and then to uh, a mentor and a close friend and a neutral person and uh, a difficult person. But we can do the same thing with generosity. We can start where it's easiest, 
Um, but it's not always easy to be generous to ourselves. And what the Buddha said um, is the Buddha said to give to family and friends first. Um, practice where it's easiest and then expand outward. Uh, give to people in need, give to Sangha and keep going from there, just as we do in a metta practice. And the Buddha also mentions the state of mind when giving. Uh, and this is really critically important. So, um, for instance, if you give money to a homeless person, and I've witnessed this and I, I believe I've done it myself, there can be a tendency to just kind of uh, furtively thrust some money into their hand and sort of hurry along on my way. And, um, the intention might be good, but it's not truly expressed. And so the idea is to do it consciously and mindfully. I always try to um, look people in the eye, if a, a homeless person, even if I'm not giving them money, to smile, to say something. But if I give them money, to, to do the same, to have some words with them, so that it's not just this anonymous kind of guilty here, take this money, but there's a, an actual sense of connection. And so the, what the Buddha said about the state of mind when giving is that the giver should be delighted before, during, and after giving. So you might think of this as three stages or steps of giving, of dana, And the first one is intention is having a clear and kind intention to benefit another. The second one is action, is being fully mindful in the act of giving. So again, to go back to this um, uh, idea of giving money to a homeless person, is that as you hand it over to be aware of what you're doing and to be fully present with that person as you do it, that this is a human being worthy of dignity and support. And then the third aspect is recollection after the fact, is that you reflect on the act of giving and you notice how that made you feel, uh, whether you feel light, uh, if you don't feel good about it, but just to really examine the impact of the act of giving. So you think about it beforehand, consider the act the impact on self and others. Maybe there's some resistance. You, maybe you start negotiating with yourself what's the appropriate amount. You give mindfully. The action is performed with an open mind and heart. And then you reflect on it after the fact. What was the impact on body, heart, and mind? My personal practice, I find generosity just so simple and understandable and applicable as a practice. And um, I actually find it easier than loving kindness practice. And I've done loving kindness practice for many, many years. But um, as for those of you who have practiced loving kindness, you're probably familiar with this. You are repeating the phrases, but they feel mechanical or they don't feel alive. They're not connecting. And you, feels like not much is going on. And um, 
you know, I had a teacher say to me on a retreat once when I was struggling with the feeling that my heart had had become very open and I felt connected to everybody. And then the next day, I just was right back in my normal sense of being enclosed and separate. And I was really in pain over this. And I, I expressed this to my teacher in my interview. And he said, well, the heart opens and closes. And I think that's one of the things that makes a loving kindness practice um, more difficult for some, certainly for me, is that you sometimes have to just go through the motions. And there isn't that sense of connecting to the deep heartfeltness of it. Um, and generosity to me is somewhat simpler. Um, I find that when I give uh, of myself, when I connect with someone, that I I feel an instant sense of sweetness and well-being. And um, the teacher, Gil Fronstol, who has a sangha down in Redwood City, um, he says that one way that the giver sees his or her generosity return is found in instant karma. The Buddhist idea that acts that you do have direct consequences on the state of your mind, heart, even as you do them. The consequences of giving are quite wonderful in the present moment. If we are present for them, we can receive these wonderful consequences during the act of giving. And that just is a reinforcement of what I was saying earlier, that if we pay attention, if we're mindful in the act of giving, that we can feel an instant uh, effect of it. Um, I did want to uh, share a couple of part of uh, my process in um, putting together this talk today. Uh, involved me reflecting on instances of generosity in my own life uh, that people have extended to me. And um, I just wanted to share a couple of those because um, even after years, these are, um, these are um, actions that um, have stuck with me that um, have had an impact on my um, sense of uh, what's possible in the world. So uh, I used to have a neighbor, um, and he, had, uh, he and his wife had uh, a lot of cats, and when they went away on vacation, I would take care of his cats. Very, pretty small thing, not a big deal. And then his wife died, and um, he was in a good deal of pain. And I would talk to him occasionally. Um, and it turned out that he also had an interest in Buddhism uh, and, and read a lot of Buddhist literature. And, um, you know, over time, you know, uh, over a year or two, as he started to recover from the grief, this was at a time when I was applying to graduate school. And um, I was looking, I was applying for scholarships and grants and, and 
student loans and anything I could get. And um, this was for my Buddhist studies graduate program. And one day I saw my neighbor out on the street and he motioned me over and I went up to him and he handed me this check. And he said, this is for your tuition. And it was a check for $9,000. And um, I thanked him and I, I said that I didn't know how long it would take me to pay him back. And he said, it's not a loan. I want you to have this. Even now, I'm getting, I'm getting emotional about this. Um, we don't have to give $9,000, but that act of generosity on his part, on Val's part, was just so deeply moving to me. And um, there is this notion that in Buddhism, um, generosity that supports the teachings, the Sangha, is considered a higher form of generosity because it can benefit so many others. And here I was about to enter my Buddhist studies program, and I was being gifted uh, the tuition for my first semester. And I'll never forget that. Another um, story that comes to mind for me about generosity is, is uh, back in 1991, I was traveling in South America for six months and um, for a time, for a couple of months actually, I was in some pretty remote areas of the um, Amazon jungle in, in Bolivia. And um, we were basically walking a lot, and we would come upon these really just huts with grass roofs, and um, we would meet people, and these people would invite us into their into their home, and these were people that had virtually nothing. They had a mortar and pestle, a stove, a rifle, some bowls and cooking utensils. That was about it. And, you know, I remember being invited in and being given a full meal, the full meal being rice and some kind of wild meat. And again, I was just so moved by the generosity of people who had by Western standards, had nothing. And I, I, I mean, I suppose I felt a certain amount of guilt about it, but the guilt was really outweighed by just the, the sense of generosity and love that I felt um, by these people sharing what little they had. So um, those are just a couple of stories I have others, but I think I'll save them. So I want to speak a little bit about service because um, serving others is a form of generosity. As you heard from um, my bio, 
I spent uh, a number of years volunteering for Zen Hospice Project, and um, that was and continues to be one of the most rewarding uh, aspects of my life. And so when we give, we're, we don't just have to give material items or objects, money, whatever. Our giving can be in the form of service. Uh, and service can look many, many different ways. There are so many ways to volunteer. Many of you are in service uh, volunteering for this beautiful Sangha. And um, so one of the things that um, the Buddha said that once a person had awakened, the Buddha often instructed them to go out to benefit others to be of service. So service can be seen as an act of generosity and the Buddhist path begins and ends with this virtue. So I mentioned before that the practice of giving is so simple and direct and everybody knows how to do it and engages it in some way that can be given to a, a beginning practitioner. But also at the very end, when you become awakened, you go out and you serve with your newfound insight. And this is obviously what the Buddha did when he became awakened. He taught for 40 years. And um, it mirrors a little bit my own uh, path in that when I began practicing uh, Buddhism on a daily basis and attending sitting groups and reading and retreats, is that I, I loved the teachings, but what came up for me almost immediately was, well, these all these teachings on compassion, it's like, what else is there? What is next? Uh, you know, if I sit in a cave for 30 years and become enlightened, then what? And for me, the then what is you go out in the world. And of course, I did not sit in a cave for 30 years and I did not become enlightened. But I did instantly recognize that I had to go out in the world and offer something. That that simple act of giving to myself of generosity was an important, maybe even crucial part of my practice. And so in serving at Zen Hospice, you know, I experienced a sense of joy and satisfaction and connection and peace that was to be honest, was was a little surprising to me. You know, it's one of those things that you hear people say that's like, oh, I get so much more out of it than I put into it. Um, and you, you will hear people say that, and yet you can't or don't really understand it until you do it. Um, and so that was my experience. And um, it's my belief, uh, my experience that giving generosity makes us stronger emotionally as human beings as just sentient beings in the world and um i think it's important because um of the fact that we are all interdependent and if the pandemic and the economy and the wildfires 
have shown us anything, it's how clearly interdependent and connected we really are. And um, with that knowledge, how can we not try to practice generosity, whether through um, giving money uh, or services? Uh, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying says, whatever we have done with our lives makes us what we are when we die. And everything, absolutely everything, counts. And that is something that I deeply believe. It's something that I see, I have seen in my volunteering, in my service, and working with the dying, that everything we do matters. The smallest gesture, a smile, an acknowledgement, everything matters. And uh, from the classic spiritual um, book, The Way of the Bodhisattva, it says everything we do affects the world. Any action can be the cause or the cause of the cause of another's suffering. Finally, I'd like to offer a few thoughts on generosity as self-care. And um, as I mentioned earlier, generosity is not just extending a sense of open-heartedness and um, ease and love for others, the internal work but it's extending it for ourselves. So generosity can be extended to ourselves. So when I, to go back to my original question, am I being generous? I have to ask myself that often of how I am internally treating myself or talking to myself. And that is a, um, a crucial practice for me. So as you um, go about your daily lives, I hope that you will hold yourselves with a generousness of spirit, that you will forgive yourselves because I believe that forgiveness is an act of generosity. Um, it's often said that we don't forgive for the other person. We forgive for ourselves so that we are not carrying that weight of resentment, uh, anger, unhappiness, blame, judgment around that we let go of that. And again, this gets back to this notion of generosity as being uh, a process of letting go. And the Buddha taught, give where it pleases your heart. Give where it pleases your heart. Where it brings a sense of joy, trust your heart. And this should be not out of a, any sense of duty or obligation, um, but just simply out of a desire 
to be less shut down, um, to address our own clinging and desire. Um, because there are many obstacles to generosity and fear is right up there at the top of the list. Um, we are often not generous out of fear. Uh, maybe, um, perhaps out of the fear of, uh, not having enough ourselves or giving away something that we later regret or need or want. And sometimes this, this duality is framed in the idea of scarcity and abundance that there can be, we can unconsciously hold um, a mentality of scarcity. And this is actually very common with people who have grown up in poverty uh, that when they become adults, that they may become successful or affluent, but they can't escape that underlying emotional tone, that fear of scarcity, that it could all disappear because they know only too well the true pain of uh, need and and poverty. And the the flip side to that is abundance, is the idea that if we give, we will get back more than we give in the long run, that we will receive. So the idea of giving and receiving, um, the two things really are, are balanced. Um, okay. So I think that's all I'm going to say for now, because I really would like to leave some time for discussion. Um, I'd love to hear what your own experiences are with, um, with giving, with generosity, um, what your, uh, how you notice it, how it manifests in your life, what comes up for you around these issues, or how you practice it yourself. Maybe you have your own generosity practice. So, um, yeah, I would love to hear what you have to say about this. Thank you. My name is Bob. I want to thank you for your talk. It's brought up so much that I can't, I can't possibly introduce what I'd like to ask you about and include everything that you've touched in me. Um, one of the things that did come up though was I like to consider myself a generous person and heaven knows through the means of the postal service and email, I get lots of requests for financial support from many groups that maybe I gave to in the past. They bought lists from other groups that I gave to. The problem I have is how to say no. What's giving to, when is it giving too much? When I feel uncomfortable? Well, I, I don't have a good sense of boundary of how much money at least that I can afford because you talked about growing up poor then becoming affluent enough to be relatively comfortable and I'm, I'm in that position I don't have a sense of what level of saying no also makes me comfortable as well as level of giving 
Yeah. Wow, what a great question. Um, I don't know that I have a clear answer for it. I think that's a it's personal, and for myself, it's usually situational. I would love to open this question up to the group. I mean, I know that probably everybody here gets these mail solicitations from worthy causes, Safe Tibet, uh, Amnesty International, you know, Nancy Pelosi, you name it. Um, and what do we do with them? At what point do we say, I, I can't do this? This is, where do we say no? When do we say no? Hey, it's Grisha. Um, thank you for your talk. And I have a similar question with Bob. I, it might have been one of your earlier talks, um, previous visits that someone said the term give until it starts to right to the point where it starts to feel stingy. <laughs> I don't know if that's your line or not, but I practiced that. Like I had a electrician install a ceiling fan and it took him a long time. He was very meticulous. And then he broke something and he showed it to me. He took a picture of what he broke. He asked that he, he explained his work or anyway, blah, blah. And so, um, it, the, the task rabbit thing came back and it says, would you like to leave a tip? And I, I was like, Hmm. And there were three levels of tips. And I remembered that just give to the point of where it starts to feel stingy. And I just hit the most amount because he was honest He's who knows. I mean, he's working for TaskRabbit. He's like coming in, you know, whatever. So it felt really good. And then the, along the same lines, like Bob is saying, I have a therapist who's challenging me right now because she's saying that I'm addicted to that um, that hit of that, that hit I get when I give, and um, and that I'm actually, especially in my work life, giving, and I think I'm crossing some Kaga line where it's like. It's addictive. I'm, I need, I need your approval. I need you to be like, you know, like I'm a teacher. And so I help, I'll help someone who doesn't know how to work Zoom for two hours. And then I won't, I'll shirk off my responsibilities under my job description because I want to help so much. And I want that teacher to be like, Oh, thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. You know, like I need that hit. So. I, mean, I think I'm just asking the bigger question too. Is like the same or the same question on a broader view. Like, what if it's part of like an addictive cycle? Um, and you have experience with addiction, so I wonder if you have a comment about that. Like, um, is it really Kaga if I'm really just looking for a hit of dopamine from being a helper? Well, you know what I'm hearing in both of what uh, you and Bob said was um, it brings up for me the issue of boundaries. And at what point do we, do we say no? That's, that's the question. That's what Bob stated. When do we say no? How do we say no? And, um, I think it's important that we know our limits. So for instance, we don't want to give so much money that it puts us in financial peril. Uh, we don't want to end up on the street because we've given everything away. Uh, so there's an idea of proportionality to giving, I think. And, um, yeah, the idea of giving the, the generousness happens when we give something of value. And if you're talking about money, it may be, you know, just enough that it feels like, wow, well, 20 bucks for me right now. That's, that's a lot, but I really, I really, valued this so i'm going to give the 20 the 20 dollars 
Um, but again, uh, there's a separate issue for you about the hit that you get from it. And, um, okay, that's a, first of all, let me reflect back to you. That, that's a, a, a wonderful realization. The fact that you are aware of that is, shows, um, that you're mindful of your motivation and, and what's, what's happening with that. Um, I think that's something that you can make a practice yourself. Um, and I don't have any clear answer, but just keep looking at that and keep noticing. And what is your motivation? The ones, the one thing that, um, I'll say about motivation, because I struggled with the idea of motivation and intention when I was, um, the first couple of years when I was uh, volunteering at San Hospice Project and working with dying people. And, um, you know, and I did get a lot out of it. I got a real sense of purpose and connection, uh, as I said. And, you know, I started questioning, well, am I doing this for myself? You know, maybe I'm not being kind and generous. Maybe I'm just doing this because I'm getting something out of it. And the conclusion I came to personally for myself, uh, as the more I examined my motivation in all areas of life, is that motivation is never pure. Motivation is always an alloy. So the fact that I'm getting something out of it doesn't diminish it in any way if the benefits for the person that I'm serving are significant. So in other words, it's not an either or. It's a both and. You may be really benefiting someone and you're getting a great hit off it at the same time. And that kind of goes back to that quote from Gil Fronstel about instant karma is that that's a, uh, that is in a way it's a good motivation to keep doing it. But yeah, I think I would recommend just really examining your motivation and see my guess is that you have both of these things going on. Uh, you have the, 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 um, generousness or the altruism. And also the fact that, wow, I'm getting something out of this. Cool. At Zen Hospice, we actually talk about the mutuality of service. That's a, that's a major aspect of, of what we teach the volunteers that we don't come in as, you know, I'm this wonderful caregiver. I'm the helper and you're the helpee because that creates an unequal relationship. It creates an unequal power dynamic. If I'm here to help you, that means you're weak or perhaps that you're broken. What we come in is we try to come in as equals, that we're meeting two human beings in a field of suffering and that I get something out of it as a volunteer just as much as the person I'm serving. And I will say that what I've found is that people that we serve in those circumstances want to feel like they're offering something to us. They don't want to feel like they're just being catered to. They want to feel that that we are interested in them and that they have something to offer us. 
And I found that even people who are terminally ill will be very solicitous and gracious. Oh, please sit down. You, would you like something to drink? You know, they're, they're concerned for your comfort. Or some people will ask if they, you visited them before. They'll ask about your family or your friends or something that you told them in a previous visit. So, um, yeah, I think thinking about it in terms of mutuality is also helpful. Hey, Alistair. Um, this is Tom. How are you? Good. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for your talk. You know, I was going to ask a question. I think you sort of answered it. Um, and that was about, you know, our motivation, like wanting to get something out of it. But I'm wondering if perhaps allowing ourselves to feel that and to receive that, you know, hit, that good hit of feeling that we're giving or something, if maybe that's the part of the generosity that we give to ourselves. Beautiful. Yeah, I I think that's a that's a valid observation. I think that's probably quite quite accurate. Because that's that alloy that you talked about. I love that yeah. analogy of it being an alloy. Like it's mixed. It's not pure. So there's nothing wrong with that, except in our society, we're caught to feel guilty. You know, whenever we feel good. So. Yeah, I think the only way it might become a problem is if there's an imbalance. Again, I would say that think of this in terms of both and instead of either or. It's not just one thing or the other. Both of these elements are present and both are important. And I think there needs to be uh, a balance between them. Thank you, Alistair. Um, I have just a sort of parallel point about uh, giving, and uh, I've been a caregiver, you know, most of my life. I was sort of born into it, but, um, you know, giving sometimes, uh, it's interesting to examine it. Uh, I practice trying to give something without the person knowing, trying to give generosity without any, not the person's knowledge. And uh, it can reveal where, uh, I enjoy it and really love the, you know, the giving and also where I'm attached. Like sometimes I feel I need the recognition. I need it to feel good about myself or like I want, you know, them to give me credit or value, you know, so it's, it is an alloy. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not having the person know you did it is a good way to expose it. Yeah, that, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, there's actually a, a story that I had in my talk and I, I didn't share it. So I'm going to share it now because it's, it's relevant. And this is a Buddhist story about a, um, a monastery, um, where, you know, there were many people who practiced there. Uh, and, you know, some of them became teachers. Um, many were happy to practice without being teachers, but for those who were interested in becoming teachers, there was a teacher training program, and it had a preparation period. And during that preparation period, which was two years, it was a secret what it was. You didn't know until you were accepted into the program and told to do this one thing in preparation for your teacher training. And what it entailed was for two years, they had to practice generosity so the recipient never knew who the giver was. It had to be anonymous. And what they found was that the giver benefited more than the receiver. 
So thank you for for bringing that in. I, I think that's a beautiful reminder. Um, I, I also just what came to mind as you were talking is is philanthropy, mm. and so we see this all the time where uh, a rich donor will offer a sum of money to an institution. And uh, I read about this recently. I'm afraid I can't remember the donor or the institution, but the requirement was that their name be put on this um, building, wing, department, whatever it was. And uh, the institution refused and the person withdrew their, their contribution. And so we see this all the time. So I live right up the hill from, Zuckerberg, San Francisco general. Um, you know, yeah. people, uh, like, you know, I, I can appreciate that, uh, Mark Zuckerberg gave, you know, 250 million or whatever it was to San Francisco general hospital. But, um, yeah, the aspect of, of wanting that, that recognition is, an important part of the practice also. I think giving anonymously can be uh, a powerful practice in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So thank, thank you for bringing that up, Jeff. I appreciated the personal uh, notes uh, that you brought to it. You know, yeah. um, well, like I said, it, it is a personal, it's very personal for mm-hmm. me um, as a practice and, and, one of the reasons that I like it is that it is so simple and basic and understandable and applicable in our daily lives. Yeah. Uh, Story about the $9,000 check, Brett, tears the money. <laughs> no, ugh. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah. That man touched yeah. a lot of people. Still. Yeah. No kidding. No yeah. kidding. And unfortunately, I've lost touch with him. He had some struggles with alcohol, and um, I haven't heard from him in uh, a couple of years now. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Gloriousness and wretchedness. Exactly. I love that quote. Yeah, uh, that's true. My life quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every day. Yeah. So, Alistair, do you do uh, like consultations or teaching sessions for students, or what? What are you doing now that you have extra? No, I uh, I don't. I you know I, I'm not really um, because I'm not really empowered by any particular sangha. I um, when I first started giving these talks here, I actually asked a couple of teachers if they were okay with it, and they said yes. But I'm I'm a little reluctant because I I don't have the backing of any particular um, teacher to put myself out uh, in any significant way. I also should notice note that um, because my hours were cut, I um, decided to apply to UCSF to their chaplaincy training program, which is something that I did uh, when I left graduate school in 2016 and I had been accepted into the program and then got offered the job at Zen hospice. And so I turned down this chaplaincy training. So I did three years of graduate school for the academic training to be a Buddhist chaplain. And the next step, the final step in that process is to do a year long residency in a healthcare setting um, to be trained 
to be a chaplain. And um, so that's what I'm doing now. I reapplied and got accepted. Um, so I'm actually at UCSF full time right now, as well as doing 16 hours at Santa Hospice. Oh. Oh. So I'm a little uh, a little bit overburdened, and um, that's kind of where the focus of my energy would be. I mean, I have no problem with uh, talking to people informally, mm-hmm. but like I said, I'm a little reluctant to be um, um, put on a, in a category of a, a an official teacher. I hear you. Yeah. What a great investment of this unexpected free time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us fortunately found it uh, really a great opportunity to, to uh, practice. I, yeah, I feel so fortunate, um, you know, that, that, uh, that this opportunity was there and that I got accepted. And um, it's been the timing really mm-hmm. was very fortuitous. And uh, I'm just I'm so excited to be doing this because it felt like unfinished business to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I did my academic training and I, I really wanted to do my clinical training and and did not. And it's been four years. And now finally, wow, I get to finish this. It's mm-hmm. very exciting. And it's a very intensive program. It's didactic and learning and process groups and clinical work and, you know, being on call at the hospital overnight. And so. A lot of stuff. That's great. Thank you, and thanks everyone. It's uh, we need to wrap up at this point. Um, thank you very much for your talk and everyone's participation. And um, it's time for announcements. And boy, today we should get a windfall. And Donna, posted <laughs> 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 in the chat. <laughs> I posted in the chat box. Um, a link to the recordings of past talks on our website, a, a link to the last, the fall newsletter, um, which by the way, we've been getting a lot of responses from prisoners who received the newsletter. Uh, they were really touched and moved by Vinny's talk, which is transcribed in the latest newsletter. So um, check it out. And then finally, there's a link to for making Donna. Donna is the poly word for generosity. Your generosity is appreciated. Donations in the range of ten or twenty dollars help help the sangha meet its expenses, which include honorarium for speakers, the rent we pay for the meeting space to hold it on Bartlett Street, and our quarterly newsletter. Um, so you can donate either through the website um, through PayPal, or you can send a check to um, to the PO box, which is listed there. Um, and then Jeff has also posted. Next week's speaker, Dorothy Hunt. Dorothy Hunt serves as spiritual director of Moon Mountain Sangha, teaching at the request of Adishanti. She has practiced uh, psychotherapy since 1967 and is the founder of the San Francisco Center for Meditation and Psychotherapy. Self-inquiry is taught by Ramana Maharshi, sorry about my pronunciation, led to the first of a series of awakenings. In the meeting, Adishanti she was with Adishanti in meeting Adishanti. She was invited to see beyond identifications with either the absolute or the relative. Dorothy is the author of only this and leaves from the moon mountain, a contributing author to the sacred mirror, listening from the heart of silence and the online journal of undivided. Dorothy offers satsang retreats and private meetings in the Bay area and elsewhere by invitation. <coughs> There's it. There it all is in a link. Uh-huh. Um, other announcements, Richard. 
Um, just want to remind people, October 10th, the uh, Sangha is offering a day-long retreat with J.D. Doyle. It will be from 10 to 4. There's no charge to attend, but Donna for the teacher is encouraged. And uh, there's information on our site, and I'll be sending that out every week now just to remind people, but I think it'll be very worthwhile. Thank you. Jeff? Wednesday evenings at 7.30, uh, we have another small program or discussion group-based program called GBF Live. It will sit in silence for the first half hour. You can come for just that or stay for the second hour of our discussion group. Thank you. Thanks. Any other announcements? All right. And then um, at this point, we do our dedication of merit. Do you have one that you like to use or would you like to, us to use our, our uh, regular one? Um, either way, you can do yours. Okay. Yeah. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Grisha. Thanks, Alistair. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.